0: Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I am Joe, I'm still your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Truck. You can read me at, of course, Hashtag Basketball. Should have a piece going up there in the next few days on the Reggie Jackson-ish Smith combination. You can also read me at Piston Powered, Palace of Pistons, and my own site, TruckThoughts.com. I'm joined today once again by Koo Cahill. You can find him on Twitter at NBA. He writes at Piston Powered and my own site, truckthoughts.com, and also find him on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. He just released a video, well, when this comes out, yesterday about the Detroit Lions, so go ahead and go check that out for sure. And um, also remember that for our site, truckthoughts.com, Follow any four of our writers on Twitter, retweet stories, and you can get a chance to win a $20 gift card to the wonderful Green Dot Stables. So, cool. Before I let you go, we're just going to quick go over this a sec. The Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Basketball Pistons played a game against the phenomenally successful early season Toronto Raptors in Toronto. Toronto came into the game 12-3, the Pistons came into the game 6-6. Final score, Pistons 106, Raptors 104. Our boy Stanley Johnson played pretty well, which I'm sure you'll talk about in just a moment. Blake Griffin led the way, 30 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists. Uh, No one else had a huge game scoring-wise. Andre Drummond had 11 points, Reggie Jackson had 13 uh, Reggie Bullock only had 5, but of course it did include the game winner. Lance Galloway had 13. Our boy Stanley Johnson had 12. Uh, for the Raptors, Kawhi Leonard had 26 points. Kyle Lowry had 14 points and 7 assists. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas had 17. Greg Monroe had a big game off the bench with 17 points. Probably his best game as a Raptor. Uh, yeah, so big time win. Pistons won at the end. Pistons in the fourth quarter. Outscored the Toronto Raptors 29 to 16. At one point in this game, the Pistons were down by, I believe, 19 points. I think that was the largest that the deficit got. So really, really impressive win. Ku. I know that you've been I'm both of us have, but especially you. We've been waiting for this moment to <clears throat> I have. We've remained on the, the SS Stanley Johnson. Many abandoned Correct. ship. It was leaking, starting to sink, but we just kept pumping out that water. We kept believing that this ship is going to sail. And, oh, baby, that ship sailed. You go. You go right ahead. Take away general thoughts of the game, Stanley Johnson, whatever else you want to say about the game.
1: Are we talking general thoughts right now? Are we getting into Stanley? You can talk about like
0: the, whatever you want to talk about with this game. If you want to start off with Stanley Johnson, we can start off with Stanley okay. Johnson.
1: I want, to, I want to start off with general thoughts because I feel like Stanley Johnson deserves a special segment. So the first half was, uh, wasn't was very pretty for the Pistons.
2: Um, Jonas Valachunas had a pretty good first half, was pretty quiet in the second half. Andre really picked it up on him in the second half, played really better defense on him. I'm not sure how much he scored in the first half, how much he scored in the second, but he was definitely noticeably slowed down in the second half. Um, like you said, Greg Monroe is something I saw for the for the Raptors. I saw you tweet that uh, this, Greg Monroe definitely would have been someone you still would have been okay with signing and bringing him to the Pistons and letting him get minutes. And I'm also there with you. He had a really good game, of course, against the Pistons, his former team. I'm sure that had a little do with the and Sergio Baca was out, so it opened up minutes for him to play with 17 and 9 off the bench. So there's that. Obviously, Reggie Bullock hit a game winner after struggling for the most of the night. He shot two of nine on the game. Hit that game winner at the end. Honestly, if Jose Calderon throws a better throws a better pass to Glenn Robinson the third, we probably don't get that shot because and and I told Joe I was gonna get at him about this. Dwayne Casey, Joe, two straight. Amazing play calls, play designs.
0: Get at let the me end of the game, let me hop in here a sec. So first off, the first one was a really good play design. Um, I actually saw that one coming. Once again, anybody who watched Glenn Robinson play much in college uh, is well aware of Robinson's abilities as an alley oop guy. And at first, I actually tweeted it out, but then I realized it because I first I tweeted out it was a mistake to not have Drummond on the floor there because I thought it was and I was thinking why would you not have Andre Drummond on the floor for this and then before they started the play you know I I guess there's no way for me to prove this but I did actually think they're going to try to lob for Glenn Robinson because they've actually run plays for him to get alley-oops in the half in the half court a few different times already this season and then the reason you don't have Andre Drummond on the floor then is that you know they would be able to sag off him and block off the alley-oop So that's the reason Uh that he wasn't on the floor. And, yeah, so that was good play design. The Reggie Bullock one, I've already watched it a couple of times. Uh, I made a clip of it. That will be in the film review of the game. Uh, That was not actually play design. They were trying to open up a look for Blake Griffin uh, beyond the three-point line, which, I mean, that's fine. That's a fine way to get it, but they blocked it off. Reggie Bullock had set a screen... And he wasn't moving, and then he sort of saw it they about to run out of time, and he actually scooted over and got open himself. So, I mean, not necessarily terrible play design there. Like, I'm not trying to rag on Dwayne Casey. We'll have some things to rag on Dwayne Casey about this, but... Oh, shit, yeah. But, so, first one, awesome play design. I'm all credit to him. Uh, it was, I'm a little surprised that the Raptors didn't see it coming a little bit more, that it got them that much, because... Uh, once again, I I've said this before, but I always think when I'm able to see something, you I would hope that the actual NBA guys would be able to. And before they ran that play, I was like, oh, they're gonna run, they're totally gonna run a alley oop for Glenn Robinson. And one other thing to note, though, even with that, is that so as you said, Jose Calderon did throw a really poor pass. If he throws a better pass, uh, that's that that goes in. That's good, you know. But. Uh huh. Um, even with the poor pass, that was a phenomenal defensive play by Pascal Siakam. Yeah, that
2: was insane.
0: Like, even with the bad pass, that was just an incredible play by him.
2: Yeah, because he had to recover from it, too. He's just so long and athletic. He was was beat on it, and the fact that he was able to make up that much ground and then also get, like, honestly, I feel like if he would have tried, he could have seriously just palmed the ball instead of swatting it out. He could have just caught the ball and just brought it down. That
0: was an insane defensive play. Yeah, so, but, yeah, that was a, once again, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't see that coming, Um, just looking at it, especially when, um, because I've got it up right now, there's a point where it becomes clear that Robinson's going to turn in, and I'm surprised OG Ananobi didn't see that and then just follow him in. So they did kind of blow that, but then, once again, phenomenal defensive play by Robinson. Pascal Siakam more than anything else, but on the game winner, it seems pretty clear that was uh, that was not the plan. I don't think. I think that was well. I mean, yeah. Well, the I'm looking I'm at. Saying,
2: it, I'm, I have to look. I'd have to look at it again. But I've you know got it mean?
0: up right now. I'm looking oh. at my recording of it, and okay. it looks pretty clear to me. And obviously, you don't see it on the podcast. But if anyone listening to this, you can go look at at it. Looks pretty clear to me the initial goal was to try and get Blake Griffin a look beyond the three-point line. And then, because after Griffin pops out and they have that covered, then all three of Drummond, Bullock, and Jackson cut towards the hoop after sort of initially stopping for a second. So my guess is that that was not the initial um, desire. I'm just... Well, but once again, it's it's kind of impossible to say for sure on those things because you know, it's possible that is how exactly how they drew it up. Uh, just yeah,
2: I was gonna. What, what I have to say about it is like Joe has it up; he's looking at it. But from, when I was watching it live, what I got from it now, obviously, I'd like to see it again because Joe's making me think about it now. But when I watched it live, my understanding of it was they were trying to get Blake at open three, and when they hedged it and like pretty much doubled it. With Bullock's man and then and then Blake's man coming for it too, the second like the counteract to that was the slip, which is like just from playing basketball for a while. That's usually like that. That's the counter. That's if someone's gonna hedge, then you immediately slip. That's why I thought I saw that. That was just like Bullock reading the situation and countering what the Raptors did and slip.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I think that the action. I think that was more so. No, look, it actually. It did end up, even if not designed that way, certainly they had it planned out that, you know, with Blake going out, it was a good idea for them to cut in because Blake's drawing some attention, so it opens up some potentially there for them to cut. But like uh-huh. you said, I think that, that the final play was more so block just reading the situation. We all know that he's a really high IQ guy off the ball, so that would be very in character for him to just be able to read the situation. So first one, yeah, really good play design, very happy with it. Second one, I think, was not as much play design. Um, and looking at it, the guy who really blew it was OG Anunobi. He really kind of blew that play because he's guarding Blake Griffin at the start of the play, and he kind of lets Blake Griffin get away from him and doesn't communicate with Pascal Siakam. So Siakam is guarding... um Siakam is guarding Bullock, and because they don't... O.G. Ananobi lets Blake go and doesn't communicate, Pascal tries to switch, and O.G. Ananobi's still trying to also run out onto Blake, and that's what lets Bullock run free to the hoop. So I think O.G. Ananobi really blew that play, actually. But regardless, it worked out. They hit the shot. Um, You know, regardless of whether it was good play design or just Reggie Bullock reading the play or OG Ananobi just blowing it, or just 100% sheer dumb luck. Um, <laughs> I'm taking it, that's for sure, especially yeah. given how um, the game against the Raptors that Blake Griffin even played in last year went. Uh, I'm not complaining about it. So some, I'll, I'll give some kind of more general thoughts, too, before we dive into some specifics. Um, first off, you know, it it was almost a quiet game for him in a way because, it, like it just it just kind of seemed that way at times. But I'm Blake Griffin, thirty points, twelve rebounds, three assists, thirteen of twelve from the field. He only shot two feet free throws. Oh my goodness, I didn't even realize that. So oh, no, and the and the best thing, the best stat line, the the best stat there. If you watch
2: the game, he had two blocks. Both of them were incredible blocks. Yeah. He had one on Kawhi, like on a fast break caught him at the rim, and then another one, someone beat either him or Dre backdoor, and he recovered so nicely and just blocked it. He's not a rim protector, but those two plays were big.
0: Yeah, um, I feel like we should probably touch on that, I suppose, just because we have at times been um, <laughs> quite vocal in our displeasure. With... Oh,
2: he still had terrible close off Yeah, there was multiple and, ones where he and just flew by. Yeah, <laughs>
0: so that is still the case. I m- remain mostly... Now, I have been pleasantly surprised by the amount of effort Griffin puts in like for loose balls and such like that. Yeah. I, I, truthfully, I did not expect that from him. But, yeah, overall his defense is not very good. He doesn't play particularly hard on defense. He regularly is just like, nah, I'm not going to make that rotation or whatever. But, just because we've been hard on his defense, it's worth noting, he's definitely got a knack for making meeting dudes at the rim. Like the guy still has great hops. He's got good timing. And when he sees, when he sees an action developing and he's in place to make a play, he's done that quite a bit this season. He did it a few times last year, but he really has done that this season. So just because of the fact that we've been pretty hard on him defensively and it's all well-deserved, but I feel like we, I should mention that, you know, he, he, that's become a p- pattern for him, and it's uh-huh. been a nice thing to have because, you know, I not to rag on Tobias Harris, but that's something Tobias Harris isn't doing, right? And yeah. it's been nice to have a guy who, whether it's the rim protection and also more often the rebounding, so that when Andre Drummond is not there, whether it's because Andre Drummond is out defending someone on the perimeter or, you know, the play just goes over so he can't rotate in time or he's just out of position on his own fault, or whatever it is, that when Andre Drummond isn't there to do everything on the inside, Blake Griffin is able to fill in and do those sorts of things at times, which has been really helpful. And obviously his rebounding is more important for that than his rim protection because he actually is a really good rebounder, whereas his rim protection mostly comes down to that he occasionally makes a really nice block. You know he's not really a rim protector. He blocks shots occasionally, but just uh-huh. just once again, that's because we've been very hard on him defensively. Um, he really that that's something he does. That's really an asset to the defense. So, but just once again, I mean though even though he didn't play very well down the stretch, uh, still thirty points on twenty two shots. That's big, and if he is not, you know. In the second quarter, I think in particular, he had 13 or 14 points or something like that when the Pistons as a whole were struggling and they fell behind by a bunch and whatnot. And it's just kind of like, you know, we love to focus in basketball. We love to focus on the end of games and such, but the point, they're worth the same amount of points all the way through. And if Blake Griffin doesn't keep grinding away buckets all the way through the game, even when the Pistons are down by a bunch and such, this doesn't happen at the end. So I just wanted to really give him credit for that because it's going to get overshadowed because he didn't finish the game very strong. But if he's not grinding away buckets throughout this the entire course of this game, uh, the Pistons don't get back into it. So, yeah.
2: I mean, he even, like, even though he, he had, like, I, I know there was one shot that people weren't happy with at the end when he took that step back at the end over, it was like a long two. Part of it was a shot clock running down. Part of it was he waited too long, but he still hit like that one, uh, like dirt fadeaway to give the pistons the, the lead with like a minute left. So he didn't play great, but he still had a shot that, that really pay, like helped the pistons. Oh, piston. yeah,
0: for sure. And, and yeah, go ahead, go ahead, and say whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, and
2: but what well, all I'm gonna say was that I get on him a lot for his uh, his closeouts, and we both have, he's he's pretty bad at closeouts. But I generally think that he usually finds himself he's, – he's a really intelligent player. He usually – I don't usually see Blake find – like, I, I'm not trying to say the guy is like a great – but I usually find myself seeing him in the position. He's, he's not going to be like – he's just a smart player. He may not give as much effort. He does find himself always diving on loose balls, which I absolutely love. He always sacrifices his body. He's real tough and grit and all that. I love that. But I, I, don't, I don't think he's a bad – I don't think he's that bad at being in position. I usually find him in good position on rotations. With, unless it's close-offs. That's, I think, that's like
0: I think I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, and I think I've made this comparison in my writing at some point before. But it's not as extreme because he's not the same athletic monster and he also his lack of effort at times is not as bad, but he's not totally unlike old man LeBron in this extent, because, you know, LeBron's defensive deficiencies are purely just, he just doesn't, he's not going at it, like, the entire regular season anymore, because he's 34 Uh and he's old and he doesn't care, right? But Uh he's still, he's such a high IQ player, and, you know, he is a good athlete. Obviously, LeBron is a different animal than Blake Griffin, but, so, you know, at the very least, when he's locked in, he's able to do the right things. And I think Blake Griffin is a similar thing. Now, he doesn't have his lapses of effort are not nearly as bad as LeBron's are at this point, but it's the same sort of thing, like you said, where, yeah, his closeouts are bad. A lot of the sort of little effort things are generally bad because, you know, he's Blake Griffin, he's a star, he's an offensive player, and that's just, that's how those guys usually are. But at the very least, you are correct. He knows where he's supposed to be on a lot of plays. He does it right. Basically, as long as he's not asked to do anything really high effort or really high energy, he typically does it right, and there is value in that for sure. Uh-huh. And once again, I'm we've both touched on it already, but I really have been pleasantly surprised by how much effort he's put into going after loose balls and such. And here's the thing about that, okay? Blake Griffin, we really saw it actually with Kawhi Leonard in this game, okay? Because Kawhi Leonard grabbed a bunch of loose balls. He just swallows up
2: loose balls. Is that
0: Blake Griffin going after loose balls is different from other guys going after loose balls because Blake Griffin has huge and great hands. So, like, Andre Drummond actually doesn't have huge hands. So him going after loose balls, oftentimes he's got to fumble it away because he can't just reach out and just palm the ball with ease. Blake Griffin's got such huge and such great hands that when he goes after loose balls, he gets a lot of them. Like, uh-huh. it's not just effort for effort's sake. He actually gets really good results from them because he can so easily grab the ball with his hands. So, yeah, that's been a really pleasant surprise. Um, I think before we go any further on, we got to just do this right now, okay? Cool. Talk about your man, Stanley Johnson. Tell him about your man's.
2: If you guys haven't noticed yet. I have changed my Twitter name to Stanley, quote-unquote, Coup Johnson, and it will stay like that until I see otherwise, until, <laughs> until I think that it deserves to be abandoned or I feel like people start forgetting my actual name. It will, be, it will not change because I have maintained on Stanley Johnson's boat the SS Stanley Johnson. I have been on there since his rookie season. I've been there since the, the after he got drafted. And he said Detroit versus everybody. I have been there since then. And I've had people try to talk me out of it. I've had people try to tell me, Koo, it doesn't matter how good he is on defense. His offense isn't catching up. There's just blah, blah, blah. And even this year, I think people have been too hard on him because I think his defense has been absolutely stellar this year. And And a lot of people get on me for saying this. I continue to see flashes on offense. The problem for me with Stanley is that he just can't put it together. He just he flashes it on offense and then he goes through like stretches of just not doing anything. And it just doesn't matter because those, that flash is so it's it's exactly what it is, it's a flash. So it doesn't do much because he just he's inconsistent with it. But yeah, I get flack for it, but yes, I see those flashes on offense. He just needs to put it together. I don't think he's been nowhere near as bad as people think are trying to say he has been there. But this game if this game doesn't do it for you to realize how amazing this guy is on defense, and if this doesn't tell you how important he is to the Detroit Pistons, then you can go ahead and block me on all social media because I will just chew you out if you ever come at me with such BS like that <laughs> again. I will I'll, I'll chew you out because this man, if, if any kids watching, anybody, if any expiring uh, basketball players, Get your notes out and just watch this game by Stanley Johnson on defense. Just get your notes out. Because this man had Kawhi Leonard on lock and key for the whole second half. He was forcing – he only had, what was it, two steals. He only had two steals. That's not doing him justice. After seeing that game, I, I'm going to submit a vote to the NBA
1: commissioner's office that forced turnovers to count his steals as well. When he makes, Stanley, when he makes Kawhi Leonard dribble the ball off his foot twice – when he makes him fumble the ball out of bounds a couple of times, that should all count as steals for Stanley Johnson because fans of the Pistons will just look at the box score and be like, Wuku
2: is only two steals.
1: All I see is two steals. No, he, he should have about seven of them. He put Kawhi Leonard on an absolute – it was amazing. I almost started tearing up how great the defense was at the end. Kawhi had six turnovers. I'm,
2: I don't know how many of them came at the end in the second half. Maybe Joe has an idea on it, but I, I'm willing to guess that at least five of them were because it, the Pistons don't win this game without Stanley Johnson. They don't even come close to winning this game. If, if Stanley Johnson isn't guarding Kawhi Leonard at the end of this game, this is, it's over. It's over. And, and and along with that, he had a good offensive game too in the first half. This is something that I continue to point out and something I wish I could just like tell Stanley to do all the time. There was twice in the first half. He has layups because as soon as he catches the ball, he's sprinting into a gap in the defense. He's slashing, he's puncturing the defense. And I know a lot of people like want threes and they want him to be able to develop a three point shot. And of course, he has to. I'm not saying he doesn't have to. He's awful from three so far his career. He has to develop it. But that's something I really think that he needs to do because he's shown that he's he's so strong that he can do that almost every time. People are just going to move out of his way. As soon as he caught the ball, he just punctured the, the gap in the defense he just had an easy layup because no one's going to step in front of him. He's like a linebacker. So he had two layups there, and then the second half in the fourth quarter, he hit two threes. One of them I think he got fouled on. Should have been an and one, but it is what it is. We'll take the three, Stanley. We'll take it. He had two threes, and he just put the clamps on Kawhi Leonard. If you can't tell that I'm excited right now, I don't know what you're listening to because I have been losing it for the whole night. I went on a tweeting spree watching that game in the fourth quarter there, Stanley Johnson, salute to you, my man. I'm still at the head of this boat, and I expect you to continue this for the rest of the season. Go Pistons and go Stanley Johnson. Joe, you can take over from now on.
0: Okay, so, first off, I 100% agree with you that the Pistons do not win this game without Stanley Johnson. Uh, And look, we've talked about it the past few podcasts, Okay. You can argue that with the offensive benefits of starting Glenn Robinson over Stanley Johnson outweigh it. And there is an argument to be made there, but it's just, if you start Glenn Robinson and Reggie Block, or basically, if you do not start Stanley Johnson, you've got to accept that all of the big wing talented scorers in this league, they're going to torture. you. And it was,
2: Which Kawhi was in yeah. the first half. He was torching them. And,
0: you know, it is it is a little bit funny because there's been people who have been telling me, yeah, they'll do okay. It won't, you know, yeah, they'll struggle against high-end guys. It's like, I think a lot of people don't realize that's it's like almost every, t- they're all over the place. You know, you're playing a high-end wing score almost every night in the NBA. I mean, like, so what, in the three games that, Uh, Robinson has started. Evan Fournier is giving them trouble, right? And uh, who was the last game?
2: Josh Richardson.
0: Yeah, Josh Richardson, Evan Fournier, and Kawhi Leonard now. Like, you play those dudes almost every night, and they give them trouble. And, I mean, Reggie Bullock, bless his heart, he actually wasn't doing (laughs) terrible. Well, because he didn't. I actually didn't think he did terrible on Kawhi Leonard. He mostly stuck with him. He mostly made him, obviously Kawhi got out into transition a few times, but like in the half court, Bullock stuck with him, he made him take jump shots mostly, and guess what? Kawhi didn't care. He just shot over him because he's Kawhi Leonard, and he's awesome. And it's like, you can stick with him, but if you don't do anything to make him uncomfortable, he's going to hit shots because he's Kawhi Leonard, and he's awesome. And just, that's a reality if you don't play Stanley Johnson, and hope! baby man like a lot of people get focused on the offense in this game for stanley which correct i mean he had another good offensive game one thing i want to touch on because you brought it up too is that he got a couple layups from he caught the ball and instantly went to the hoop okay because we talked about this this is what a week or so ago and you were like because stanley johnson had i don't even remember what game it was but stanley johnson had a bunch of turnovers especially late in the game And you were on this podcast, and you were like, Joe, should I be abandoning ship right now? Because I feel like a lot of people are about to. And I told you, I don't care that he turned the ball over there because he's playing aggressive. My thing with Stanley Johnson from the day he showed up has been play at full speed, play aggressive. I don't care if he makes mistakes as long as they're full speed because he's the sort of player that is always going to be most effective when he goes at full speed. Don't dick around, don't sort of take your time to sort of, you know, v- view the court, get the ball, blow to the hoop. There will be nights where you turn the ball over a bunch, he'll get some charges occasionally, that sort of thing. I will take that, I don't care. Be aggressive, and that's what I'm talking about. He also, of course, hit a couple of threes. Also, um, <clears throat> cool. over the last four games, what do you think Sonny oh, no. Johnson's three-point percentage is from, from deep?
2: Um, I was actually just looking at this yesterday, but I looked at the last nine games, not the last four. So I'll take a guess and say thirty-seven.
0: Thirty-nine point one percent, including tonight. And I tell you what, beautiful. I mentioned this I think on the last podcast. I officially believe that there's been a improvement in his shooting form. It's more compact, it looks much better. Not nearly as much elbow, kicky-outy crap, whatever the heck that was. Like, and it's really popped up to me, popped out to me the last four games in particular that his shooting form has been better. So, I'm not saying he's going to be a 39% three-point shooter from here on out. In fact, I would say that's almost certainly not the case. But, maybe he could be like 34%. But, no, the defense on Kawhi, though. Holy crap. I mean... Dude literally had Kawhi seeing ghosts. I mean, he dribbled the ball off his own freaking foot like two or three times. Uh, Stanley Johnson just straight up stole the ball once or twice. How, you said he only had two steals, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, both of those were like, they weren't like, oh, the ball kind of popped out and he grabbed it. Like, he just straight up was all like, bitch, give me that ball, and went and took it. Oh. That gets me like Kawhi Leonard does that to other people. People don't do that to Kawhi Leonard. Help people appreciate that. Like, that's just some absurd stuff. And worth mentioning, Kawhi did get him a couple of times. Like there was one time that Kawhi just like straight he just he sunned him. Like he just went in bam! Bash just went inside. But like Stanley Johnson, just absurd defensive performance. There was a play in the first half where he got switched on to Jonas Valanchunas and made Valanchunas freaking travel. Like, this dude legitimately can defend one through five. And he went out, he dominated Kawhi freaking Leonard on the defensive end, and the Pistons don't win this game without his defensive effort. So it's just, look, it helps God. that he hits shots, of course, but I still kind of feel like I think he kind of need that de- I think you need his defense. Even if you want to have him not be a starter, because, and I've said this before, I think we both kind of said this before, that there's even an extent to which it's not just with the starters. I actually think that there's an extent to which Stanley Johnson is a better fit coming off the bench for himself, not just for the rest of the starting lineup. Like, I think that it's better for him in some ways to be able to have the ball in his hands more, play more sort of point forward sort of a thing and such. But, I think you got to play that dude starter minutes because his defense is just too important. You were about to say something there.
1: Oh yeah. I, well, first, I definitely agree with you. Like before, I get into what I was going to say. There's you got people can call me a stan for Stanley Johnson, which of course I am, but I don't think this is me being a stan. I just don't see how you can't play this guy starter minutes because we had Laz on here. What was it like? Like it was a couple podcasts ago, but. The argument is that Glenn Robinson brings more on offense and then that there, his offense brings a greater impact to the team than Stanley's defense will on the starting lineup, right? That's, that's the argument for it. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I, I, I've said it to Joe. I've said it to everybody. I don't agree that that's the case. I think Stanley Johnson far and outweighs his defensive impact far and outweighs the offensive impact that Glenn Robinson brings. Strictly because of what Joe said. You face a wing almost every night that's great, that can drop buckets on you. And we've seen it three straight nights. Like, Evan Forty and Josh Richardson, they're good players, but they're not LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis. Like, if you're letting these guys – and once again, I'm not to suspect them. These are really good – these are good players. But if you're letting those guys go off against you too, then when you go against, like, the top ten guys at their position, then, like, they're going to dominate. And we start from Kawhi in the first half. So I think Stanley Johnson's defense outweighs anything – well, not anything, but it outweighs the impact of what Glenn Robinson brought up. So, in the first half, like, in the first half, I said to Joe, like, Stanley Jackson didn't come in the game until Kawhi sat on the bench. And I said, like, that's, like, undervaluing his, like, impact because his impact is supposed to be on stopping guys like Kawhi. So, if you bring him in the game when Kawhi's out the game, you're not using him to his full, like, value. So, that was, like, one of the things I had against Dwayne Casey. But what I was going to say to you, Joe, was um, – Wow, now I forgot it. Uh, Actually, yeah, I forgot it. But
0: pretty
1: much... Going too to hard? Our... Oh, no, this is like he has to be in there for starting minutes to be able to do something to help this team because there's no, I just don't see a reason why. Like, especially when you bring something offensively. When he, I said this to you like last podcast. When this guy's bringing you something on offense, he should not be on, off the court. He just shouldn't because his defense is so damn good As soon as you see him start bringing something on offense, as soon as he's having a good offensive game, he just should not leave the court because then he's just giving you both sides and his impact is so damn great. He just shouldn't leave the court. And that's just my opinion on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not quite as, uh, I guess you could say, extreme as you. Like, I can see why you take the dude off the court. Like, there's in particular, I mean, this season already, there's been some nights that, it's been ugly on offense like oh yeah ugly. real ugly and there's times where you look at you you look at how the degree to which defenses ignore him at times and it's like how is anyone else supposed to do anything on offense when they literally do not def- they don't guard him at all so i see why you do it i just i think here's i guess here's my thing okay I think that with Dwayne Casey's um <coughs> coaching style, I think that the Pistons are only going to be able to be so good on offense, right? Like they top out as a kind of so-so offensive team just because Dwayne Casey is not the sort of creative offensive coach who's really going to squeeze points out of areas. It's just I don't think it's going to happen. Without Stanley Johnson, you can't be better than a so-so defense. Like, they're like 8th or ninth or 10th. We'll see where they are after this game. But they're a pretty good defensive team right now. But just like the past few years, a big part of that is because of the fact that Andre Drummond is so phenomenal... That, first off, because he's such a good offensive rebounder, no one ever gets out in transition against the Pistons. So it's all half-court, and half-court offenses are always way less efficient than than, uh, than transition offenses. Then and also, Andre Drummond rebounds the ball like crazy, so guy, teams don't get second-chance shots. And then they make teams take the right kind of shots, okay? So sort of almost artificially, the Pistons are able to be a pretty decent defensive team, just like they have the last few years. But when you really watch, it's kind of like, once again, just like the last few years, when you really watch, it's like they're not that good defensively, you know. And I think without Stanley Johnson in the lineup, you're pretty much capping yourself at being that sort of, yeah, you kind of, you do all the fundamentals, and Andre Drummond is such a good rebounder that he covers up some flaws, but you're only going to be a kind of okay defensive team. And I don't see them becoming a really high-level offensive team with Dwayne Casey as their coach, which this isn't even a herder Dwayne Casey bad thing, just just a reality of Dwayne Casey. He's not going to come up with the sort of offensive sets and offensive scheme that's going to really elevate guys on this roster to make them a really high-level offensive team. So I think that you kind of I kind of look at it and I go, you put Stanley Johnson out there a lot, and you have a chance to be a really good defensive team then like a legitimately good defensive team and then i think it's easier to win with a high level offense and a sort of so or a high level defense and a so-so offense than a so-so offense and a kind of pretty good defense if that makes sense so that's my main holy smokes
1: hold on
0: what? the mavs just beat
1: the utah jazz by 50 points
0: are you serious
1: Yes, 118-68. to 68. Oh, my Lord! <laughs> what? The, the Utah Jazz didn't even score 70.
0: Okay, you know, this is not... This is a Pistons podcast, but let's talk about this a second here, okay? Just a second.
1: I just got the notification. I'm like, what?
0: Yeah, well, I, I just went up a little bit. Okay, let's talk about something here a second, right? So... Remember before the season started and everyone was talking about how, you know, the Jazz might be the third-best team in basketball. The Jazz are now 7-7. Seven and seven. And, uh hey, could you – maybe you do, – do you have – you don't have their stuff, like, up and open, do you? Nope, I can go get it, though. Yeah, no, 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 you don't have to. What do you think – um your boy Donovan Mitchell, what do you think his shooting splits are right now on the season? Yeah. Uh, and this doesn't include tonight. In this game Donovan Mitchell scored 10 points went 3 of 9 from the field.
1: I'll go five ahead and turnovers. take five turnovers. I think I guess I say it's looking like 41 34 and 84.
0: That's a little bit generous there. Donovan Mitchell scoring Uh 21 points per game. He's shooting 41% from the field and 30% from deep. True shooting percentage of 51.5. Ouch. I'm just, mostly though, I just kind of want to, everyone was so convinced that the Jazz were going to be phenomenal this season because they were good for a stretch last year and got into the playoffs. Probably not. They probably can't actually score at that high level. Donovan Mitchell's not actually a superstar yet. He's good. Awesome for how old he is. He's not like, you know, it's just funny to me how quickly so many people want to take a young player who's like, man, he's awesome for his age, And then go from he's awesome for his age to, no, this guy is actually just awesome. Like, the number of times that that happens is absurd. And it's like, nope, Donovan Mitchell's still 22, doesn't play a lot of defense. He actually wasn't that efficient a scorer last year either, if we're being honest. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, just, I mean, that team's going to have trouble scoring points a lot this season, man. And I think a lot of people, I, I think a big thing with it is that It's similar to the Heat a couple years ago where the Heat got hot for a stretch at the end of the season. They actually missed the playoffs, but they got really hot, and they went on that absurd streak where they won like, they like finished the season, what was it? I forget exactly what it was. It was something absurd. They finished the season like 25-4 and or something like that, and then going into the next season, everyone was like, oh, the Heat are going to be awesome this year, and then they were just kind of mediocre, and it was like, oh, they're not actually that good. I think it's the same sort of a thing. Like the Jazz are fine. They're a good defensive team, but just I don't think they're going to be anything special. And I've just I've kind of thought that for a while and I figured that was a good moment to toss that out there that I actually don't think the Jazz are going to be that good this season. And I think it's still early enough in the year that I'm not just like, "Oh yeah, the Jazz aren't good." Like they could certainly turn it around. So I'm I'm putting something on that. I'm staking some of my own you know, intellectual it's okay. monies. On it's that. okay to
1: toot your own horn, Joe. Yeah,
0: no. Like I think it's early enough that I could end up being dead wrong. I guess so. I think they're gonna not. I don't think they're gonna turn it around and become awesome. They're gonna be a kind of just okay team. I actually do think that. And also, he actually didn't have that great of a game in this one. But I just like to toss out there, Luka Doncic. That dude can ball. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes, he's been impressive. But this is a Pistons podcast. Um, <laughs> that is that is something. But um, let's see, I was going to talk about something else. Oh, Reggie Jackson in this game. I want to talk about Reggie Jackson. So first off, we've I've mentioned a bunch that Reggie Jackson's defensive effort has been pretty good this season, and he's actually mostly been okay on defense. That was not the case tonight. Holy smokes, was he bad. He couldn't stay in front of Anybody, full Matador defense. I'm not sure if he was just like really tired or if he just was that bad on effort. But he was not staying in front of anybody. Didn't have a huge game overall. 13 points, six of 14 from the field. But worth noting, he did make some really good plays down the stretch. He had a yeah. couple. Of, he hit a couple of tough buckets. There are also a couple of plays where even though he missed, he drew enough attention that Andre had easy putbacks. And so I just wanted to give credit there. And in particular, there is one play especially. He's being guarded by Fred VanVleet, who is not a scrub defender. He's a pretty good defender. He blew right by him, got into the lane, and finished a really tough layup over Jonas Valanciunas. And it's just like... That's some explosion. That's the Reggie Jackson we need. So not a great game for him overall. In fact, overall, a pretty poor game. He did have six assists, which is nice. Uh, So not a great game for him overall. But down the stretch, he did make some nice plays. And even though, and I suppose this is a good time to talk about it, there were definitely some uh, questionable decisions about how things were executed down the stretch offensively for the Pistons. We need to get
2: into that later. I
0: do think, well, we can get into it right now, but just before we do that, I do think that the basic idea of how they ran the offense down the stretch here is what I want going forward, where it's not just Reggie, it's not just Blake. It's like, it is in fact okay to use them together. It's okay to have actions where Reggie Jackson runs pick and rolls, and then you can also run it off Blake and such. Like, you know, sort of a fusion of those two guys because those are your two best ball handlers. Those are the two guys who should be doing stuff down the stretch. And I just, I like at the very least the sort of balance of how they use them. But I'll let you do it because you were ranting about it in the group chat. So what what do you think about some of the execution of the offense late in the game, Coup, the decision-making?
1: Okay, uh, first off, good wins for Dwayne Casey before I drag him for what I'm about to talk about. Good win for Dwayne Casey against his old team. He, I'm sure it was really good for him. You saw him, like, get excited and start jumping up and down the court for, like, three seconds and then try to, like, get back to being professional. So, uh, real happy for him. But let me, let me get into a couple of these, couple of these decisions and just coaching <laughs> for a second. And like Joe says, if me or Joe see it, and we're just watching the game, I just don't see how a coach can't. And uh, it's times like this when it makes me feel like, oh, cool, you can go be a high school basketball coach. It's it's literally times like this. So I already talked about how in the first half, I believe that subbing Stanley in when Kawhi goes out just doesn't make sense. I also talked about how having Reggie Bullock guard him instead of Stanley also doesn't make any sense. Now, in the fourth quarter, late in the game, this is what really just sent me over the top that just made zero and just there's just no explanation for it. So, as the game was winding down, Reggie Jackson started having a couple good plays.
2: But, of course, as me and Joe have talked about, you probably
1: want the ball in Blake Griffin's hands because Blake is just better. So, I told Joe in the group, I told Joe, why are they doing it like this? And Joe thought I was saying, well, you know, Reggie is Reggie's feeling it, Kuso, He, ha- I don't have a problem with it. Nope. I'm not talking about the fact that Reggie Jackson had the ball in his hand. Dwayne Casey obviously wanted to get the ball to Blake Griffin in the final, like, minute and a half. Anybody watching could see it. That was what they wanted to do. They wanted to Blake Griffin to get the ball, which, once again, we are all fine with and probably want to happen. But he had – who was it, Joe? He had, what, O.J. Ananobi was
0: guarding Blake, and Kawhi Leonard is on Reggie Jackson.
1: Yes. So Reggie started feeling it, so they put Kawhi on Reggie. So that means – O.G. Ananobi is on Blake Griffin. Now, if O.G. Ananobi is guarding Blake, O.G. Ananobi is a really good defender. But it's Blake Griffin, man. And with all the people out there for the Raptors, because the Raptors have a bunch of just lengthy, good defenders. So it's not like you're just going to find an easy mismatch unless he's, like, being guarded by Kyle Lowry or something. But if, if instead of Kawhi Leonard being on Blake, it's O.G. Ananobi. You get him the ball when O.G. Ananobi's on it. But apparently Dwayne Casey thought, hmm, with Reggie Jackson being guarded by Kawhi Lander, we're going to go ahead and run a pick and roll with Blake, get Kawhi switched onto Blake, and then we're going to give Blake the ball. And we did this, and Joe can back me up on this, we did this for a good three or four straight plays of just switching Kawhi onto Blake and then giving Blake the ball, instead of simply just giving Blake the ball when OG Ananobi was on him. Like, what kind of sense does it make? That's just simply, like, you just have to be smarter than that. That's something that you should be able to identify, like, immediately. So, obviously, it didn't work out for the Pistons. I mean, well, we won, but Blake Griffin hit one shot with Kawhi guarding him, but the other ones were just, like, a lot of people were frustrated with the step back. He had a couple forced ones. So, like, I'm not saying, I mean, maybe he, he would have missed them with O.J. Ananobi guarding him. Who knows? But you, for damn sure, would rather have Blake Griffin being guarded by OG Nananobi and him going at that matchup and switching Kawhi freaking Leonard onto Blake and then having him go at it. Like, that's just something that really does I started going crazy in the group. Yes, Joe. I, like, I couldn't – i like, it just made no sense to me why a coach would do something like that. I mean, we got the win, so, you know, you take the win. But if we would have lost this game, you bet that would have been on this podcast losing my shit because of something like that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it really is something that it doesn't really make a lot of sense on multiple levels because, like you said, it wasn't just like they ran a pick and roll. They were coming up the floor, and they were only having Blake set a pick with the goal of getting a switch. Like, that was all they were trying to do. And why on earth are you going out of your way (laughs) to try and go at Kawhi Leonard? This dude is one of the best defenders to ever live. And you are purposefully going out of your way to try (laughs) and go at him. That makes no sense at all. But then here's the other thing. Like you mentioned, okay, O.G. Ananobi is not a scrub. Like, that dude can defend too. So it's kind of like if there's a matchup where, okay, let's not just do the caveman ball, okay? Kawhi Leonard is guarding Reggie Jackson. And OG Ananobi is on Blake Griffin. Both those guys are really good defenders. So it's like, if there's a team against which you probably don't just want to do the caveman ball and just say, well, Blake or Reggie, you're just going to ISO and just try and do something. It's probably that matchup, right? So they shouldn't have even just been doing the caveman ball thing in the first place. But then to go on top of that and be all like, Blake, we know you're being guarded by OG. We're gonna instead We're gonna have you be guarded by Kawhi Leonard. That's the that's the yeah, land sure strategy that. right there. Yeah, just made no sense. Um, if you have like a blatant mismatch, you can do that. But unless you've got a really blatant mismatch, there's really there's no reason for that. Uh, and so. you're not gonna
2: fight those with
0: the Raptors because they have
2: so many just long and good defenders. Like I said, unless it's like Kyle Lowry, you like got switched onto him, you're just not gonna find that kind of mismatch, especially when. Nick Nurse gets that lineup out there. They take Jonas, uh, Jonas Valanciunas out and they just have Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard and OG Ananobi just roaming around. Like you're just not going to find that just, Oh, you got a mismatch here you go. You're not going to find that against the Raptors.
0: Yeah. So it's just, I really, I really strongly disagree with the reverting to the sort of caveman ball where once again, they were not running a pick and roll all they're trying to do is get a switch. So either you're passing the ball, Blake Griffin, and he's trying to isolate with 10 seconds left or Reggie Jackson's holding on to it. And he's trying to isolate with like 10 seconds left. Like if there's one team that's like, nah, let's not do that. It's the Raptors because they've got so many long, good defenders. Like you are not going to get a matchup that that's favorable. So like, I'm just, because it's the example that pops in my mind, um, there are a few times over the past few years where like a Marcus Morris would be able to get a matchup or a team would let a guard switch on to him. I remember there was one game against the Blazers where the Blazers just kept letting C.J. McCollum get switched on to Marcus Morris, and in that situation, the Pistons were like, well, <clears throat> screw it. Let's just give the ball to Marcus Morris every time. Let's not overthink this, right? In those sorts of situations, okay, do the caveman ball thing. Don't overthink it. Don't dick around. Just... Give him the ball and let him score. This is clearly not a situation like that. So run an offense, do something, and instead said they went with that. Fortunately, they didn't blow it as a result, but, oh, man, I thought they were going to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, man. I mean, in the end, though, really, really good win, and they are off for the next four days. Yeah, jeez. one, two, yeah. They're off for four days. And so I think, you know, just from a sort of psychological, mental perspective, really important that they win this game just because of the fact that, you know, they're going to stew on it for a while. So it'll be much nicer to go in. And here's the thing, okay? So we've been a little bit antsy about it at times. In particular, I have more than you. But I think with this win, obviously it's still very early, but you can go with the, you know, there's something it's not always pretty uh the Pistons net rating per 100 possessions is still 19th in the NBA and that does include tonight's game which that's not great there's still some fairly ominous signs with this team that are in points of real points of worry like not just well let's see if this improves but no like this is a problem but Pistons are seven and six they've got a win over the Toronto Raptors who are a legit team They've also beaten the Sixers once this year. Their only really bad loss was probably losing to the Hornets in their last game. Not a great loss. Uh, The loss to the Nets was not a very good loss. But they've also beaten a couple teams that are good teams. They've mostly taken care of business against bad teams. Uh, So, I mean, it's, it's not great. There are some issues. But I think at this point... It is hard to complain too much about how things are going with this team. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's really the big thing. So there's definitely still points of worry. There's things that concern me going forward. But when you look at the overall product that has been on the floor and the results, mostly positive. And it's not just because the Pistons are 7-6, and six, but, yeah, so that's a big thing. And we are... We are almost I, over 50 minutes, so give us some closing thoughts here, Koo.
1: Yeah, I, I was just about to say, I, since we're pretty close to wrapping up, just want to say I, I agree with you. I even wrote something about the Pistons handling business. I told you that I was feeling a little bit worried about that article looking looking good. But, you know, we're, we're handling our business. And just something I want to say that we need to, we need to talk about in the next pod, whether it's after a Pistons game or whatever, we need to talk about I'm getting a little bit worried about what Luke Kennard's role is going to be when he gets back with Dwayne Casey because it was early, it was a little bit cloudy with Dwayne Casey when he was healthy. We were getting at him, but now with Langston playing better, I'm getting a bit worried that Casey's going to ride Galloway and we're not going to see much of Luke. Now, now we can't get it on it now because we're closing the, uh, the pod, but this is definitely something I think we need to talk about uh,
0: next yeah. pod. Well, we're going to have – there's going to be four days off. Uh even if we don't get a pod every day, we'll probably get at least two and there won't be games to talk about. So we'll have plenty of time to do that sort of thing then. But yep. yeah. So any other just sort of closing thoughts on the game or anything else?
1: Um, uh, you know, nothing else is going to plug my stuff real quick. Follow me at Kuka Hill NBA on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on YouTube. Subscribe at Coos ballroom. You can find me at piston powered and truck thoughts or, and I also, um, I'm going to be releasing a video soon about Dwayne Casey's questionable play calling. But uh, outside of that, you know, great Pistons win. Stanley Johnson, you're, you're going to have me jumpy throughout the night. I'm probably not going to go to bed soon at all, particularly because of how well Stanley played. It's ama- That was an amazing display. Probably might be one of Stanley Johnson's. It could be Stanley Johnson's best game as a pro, possibly close to the top outside of the Cleveland game last year. But, you know, great Pistons win, and that's just about it.
0: All right, and then my closing thought, similar things. Um, first off, remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, help boost our numbers up. Uh, don't forget about the giveaway that we're doing at Truck Thoughts. Go get a gift card, follow us on Twitter, retweet stuff. Um, yeah, Ku just released a video. We had another piece by the great John Zuck go up the other day. Uh, Tyler Mormon is really working good on a one. piece, too. Yeah, that guy... <laughs> That guy's so good, man. I love <laughs> really the stuff that dude does. Um, but, yeah, so this is a big win, really great win. Also, obviously, fun for Dwayne Casey to beat his old team. And, yeah, it's a great thing to build off of going forward. And it's only going to get harder because the Pistons did not have a particularly difficult schedule out the gate. But, I actually, you know, now that I'm looking at their schedule... And it's not all cupcakes. They play Houston twice in the middle, although Houston hasn't been playing that well. But they got some more winnable games coming up. They could come out of this looking okay, actually, for the next stretch. So, big win. Uh, Great to see Blake Griffin continue to play so well. And also nice for the Pistons to finally win a freaking game on a game-winner instead of the other team, because the Pistons have lost quite a few games the last few years on game winners. So it's nice for the Pistons to get that sort of fluky thing going. So, yeah, make sure to subscribe, and uh, thanks you, thank you for listening. Stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.